chapter number three, and we'll get started this morning. Uh, we've been looking at the big picture issue, and uh, we're down in verse number 10, uh, but we'll start reading in verse number eight just to get it, the context into our mind and our, into our thinking here this morning. Uh, Ephesians 3, verse 8, unto me, and the me there is the Apostle Paul, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which, was, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now... Unto the, unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And we've been looking down through this section here as we were kind of talking about the big picture. And actually th this morning we're going to kind of hone in here on verse number 10. And Paul begins to say here in his, uh, really his life and ministry and what it was all about. Verse 8, he says, I, I would that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. I'm going to take my job, Paul says, is to preach among the Gentiles, take the gospel, see some folks get saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth, come to understand this unsearchable riches, the riches that we have in Christ. When he says unsearchable there, he, he's not talking about unknowable. He's talking about you couldn't go find these in the Old Testament. That's why he'll, he qualifies it there in verse 9, uh, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Excuse me, hid in God. So, so there's some riches to the Gentiles that God kept hidden himself. Now he's making them known. And then in verse 9 he says, the second component, one, preach to the Gentiles. The gospel and the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here's how you get saved, and here's what happens to you when you get saved and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And to make and, next thing, to make all men see, put it on display. Put it out there in a real tangible, visible manner, this fellowship. Fellows in a ship, this equality that we have with each other because of who and where we're at in Christ. And he says, this mystery, this great truth that I've been given to go and preach and to do, it was hid in God. And again, he, he, this information is only found with the Apostle Paul. It was hid in God. That's why the first six verses, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, or... I got it from the, from the risen and ascended and seated on high, Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he gave it to me. I'm giving it to you. Wherefore, I wrote a four and a few words. I'm writing this stuff down. You've got it. You understand it, verse, four, uh, verse 5, which in other ages was not made, under the son, uh, made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Savior gave it to me, Paul says. I wrote it down, and when you come to the Word, guess what you get? You get the revelation as well. That's the process. That's how it's working. That's how it's going to roll down through. And he says, not only are we making all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, but we're over here preaching about the gospel and the cross and these unsearchable riches, the riches, the wealth, the wealth that you and I have in Christ. And, and God wants that message, that fellowship that we have. He wants that message put on display, make all men see. Put on display in life. And by the way, in verse 10, he brings it into the local assembly now, where he says that to, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known, notice, by the church. That's not just the individuals, that's the church as a large. Now he brings it into the local church. So put on display in life and, and in the ministry of the local church so that it's visible, tangible. That's what that looks like for the whole world to see. And when you do that, you literally, it's fascinating when you think about this. You know, people always say, how do you, I want to know God. How do you know God? Well, you come to his word, you find him, you study him, and so forth. But when they see you, 
they should what? See him. So you literally on the stage of your life have a, have a, it was said, a righteous outbreak of the character of God in your life right where you're at. And, that, and that, that's a privilege, by the way, that we have. It's also a responsibility, but it's a privilege. And the reason for it, the reason he says verse 8 and 9 is verse 10. To the intent. Here's the reason for it. Now, by the way, usually verse 10 gets skipped right over and people don't pick it up. We're not going to skip over it. We're going to park in it here for about two years. No, I'm just kidding. For, I can do it for two years if you'd like, but it's not my goal. To the intent. We're going to do verse 8. We're going to preach the gospel and the unsearchable riches to the And then we're going to make all men see. We're going to do all of verse 8 and 9 so that there's, there's a benefit here. By the way, notice verse 9, to make all, all who? Men. And then and now in verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers where? Now we're going to reach into the angelic host. So, we're going to now we're going to move into keyword there one of the keywords is that word now verse 10 to intent that now that's important right now right now in time now in the day when Paul wrote it when he taught the Ephesians when over the years people have read and studied now there's a goal here there there's a ministry to have and that ministry is to impact not only the community around and about us all men see but there is now this ministry to impact the angelic creation the principalities and powers he says there Th those are terms of of government of the structure in the heavenly places and we're going to look at that in in future uh, but what I want you to see about this is that th when we preach the gospel and then we go and demonstrate the power of his grace in our lives, not only do we impact man that sees us, but we also then impact the creatures that are up there in the heavenly places. So we have a relationship with the angelic creation. We have this move, we, we have this impact out there that we need to be mindful of, we need to be aware of, we need to be careful with, we need to understand. Right now in time, verse 10, in our lives, the angelic creation is to see, look at the verse, might be known by the church the what? The manifold wisdom of God. Right now, in time, in our lives, the angelic creation is to see the manifestation of the wisdom of God. And how they're going to see that is through the church, the body of Christ, through the local church. Now, the local church is made up of individuals. There's, you know, a bunches of you here this morning. What are you doing on the individual ways? We're, we're preaching Christ, the cross. And then we are living, putting on display those unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay? But who else is watching? The angelic creation is watching. And when we look at this, we need to consider the angels. We need to consider the structure of the heavenly places. We need to consider the things that are going on beyond our realm of living because what does verse 10 say you impact them they're watching they're paying attention see when he says there might be known by the church might be what known they're watching they want to know something see that okay it's not that oh we're over here and oh, what colors are you going to paint the house this year it's not that it's rather Hey, there's a verse over here. Let's see how they do with this verse. And when you begin to realize that your activity impacts beyond just your spouse and your family and your friends and neighbors, but it has an impact up into that, you know what begins to happen? You don't need jerk react so quick. You go, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, you know, old Seymour over there, he's seeing more. Let's, let's pay attention here, you know. 
What's Gabriel doing? You know, what's Michael doing? They're watching. Why? Because they, and it's not in a judgment of, oh, look at that, boom, boom. But rather they're watching because they want to know. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Real quick, you see that mention of principalities and powers? Paul has already mentioned this to us in the book of Ephesians. Come back to chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. And the issue of heavenly places, the only person in Scripture that talks about the heavenly places is the Apostle Paul. As the home, the final resting place, if you will, of the church, the body of Christ. Our destiny, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And when you think about the heavenly places, look down at verse 20. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sat him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You see those principalities, powers, Colossians 1 over there, he talks about thrones and dominions. He uses terms that you and I understand. We relate to it. We see it here. Look over at Colossians 1 just real quick. I'm kind of off a little bit, but this is important to put in our thinking as we're now going to go talk about the angels because the creatures who, who occupy these positions right now are the angels, the angelic creation. That's who's in those positions. If you look at Colossians 1, verse 16, Colossians 1, 16, For by him were all things created. Now watch him define all things. And I'm going to tell you, in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, when he talks about all things, he's talking about the governmental structure of the universe. That's the context. He says that are in heaven and earth, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Where would the visible be? Right here. Earth. Okay? Where's the invisible? Heaven. Can't see that. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in what? What are the all things? The thrones, the dominions, the powers, the principalities, the mights, the every other name that's named. All of that governmental structure there. So that tells you a couple things about the heavenly places. Come back over there to Ephesians. First of all, it tells you that they are organized. And we're going to look at this in a couple weeks here. The heavenly places are organized. It also is going to tell you that they are real. The heavenly places are real. They're not uh, some spiritual voodoo, hoodly doo boo They're real. Over there in Revelation 12, Michael and his angels war against the devil and his angels. You know what happens? Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven, and the verse says, that, and their place is no longer found. It's a physical location. In Jude, he talks about the, the angels that left their first estate. Those things are real. They're organized. But today, they're in the hands of Satan. In Colossians 1, we didn't keep reading. The fourth aspect is, is that God has a, a reconciliation program, and that's where we come in. Okay. Now, go back to 3.10. All that is a teaser for the future studies, okay? But the thing is, is when we come into verse 10 here, what's Paul saying? We preach the gospel and the unsearchable riches of Christ. We're making all men see this fellowship, this unity. What, what does, have you, ever said, have you ever looked at a verse and go, I wonder what that looks like. We'll put it on display. But now this, there's an intent to it, verse 10, to the intent that now into the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Today, the angels are being instructed, impacted by you and I. They are learning. So when you come, now we're not going to do a big thing on angels. We've done that in the past. But I just want you to understand something about them here just quickly. Because this 
this uh, ministry that we have into that angelic realm, it's a privilege, it's a responsibility that we have to teach, to impact, to influence, to educate the angelic creation. Now, when I say the angelic creation, cherubim, seraphims, teraphims, all that, all of those are, is an, it's like the human race, big umbrella term, okay? And you got different categories. Now, that's, what we're talking about here is different than what you hear from religion, denominationalism, and different ideas. Today, in the age of grace, come over with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Today, in the ages of grace, angels have a different role than they did back in time past. And is, or actually, in the ages to come, in Israel's program. You go in the book of the Revelation, and you see angels very active. Open this seal, dump this vial, say this, do this. And today, they have a completely different role. And that role needs to, we need to see that, kind of get an idea about it. Because religion, Hebrews 1 verse 14, verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. God the Father never said to an angel that. He said that to who? Do you remember? God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Are they, talking about the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Who's the heirs of salvation? That's the, I'm in Hebrews 1. Okay? Who's in Hebrews 1? The little remnant, the believing remnant. They're the ministers. They're the heirs of salvation. What are the angels designed to do to them? What's verse 14 say? Minister to them. So you get this idea that you need a guardian angel. Now, if I make some of you mad this morning, I apologize. I'm going to do it right now. But you've got to look at the verses. So religion comes along and they say you need to have a guardian angel. You need to have someone come along who's going to sit there and protect you and do different things with you. If you look over at chapter 2, Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Again, who's the we? It's not the church, the body of Christ. So guess what? We don't need a guardian angel today. I'll show you this in just a minute. All right? So if you think you've got a guardian angel, you know, the good angel sits on the right side and the bad angel sits over the devil and they talk to you in your head, that's just a bunch of cartoons. It's a bunch of hoodly do, you know. Mickey Mouse and those guys made that popular. It doesn't happen. The voice that you hear in your head, good or bad, is you. You're conscious trying to justify your bad act. I mean, your activity. Okay? That's what it is. But what do they do? Who, 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 how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? What's their great salvation? That's the coming kingdom. So who's Hebrews 1 talking with? Believing remnant? Come back with me to Psalms 91. I tried to. I just picked a few verses to look at these guys. Psalms 91. Today in the age of grace, you do not need a guardian angel. Israel did, though, and Israel had them. Okay? And again, the angels work completely different today than they ever worked in time past. Look at Psalms 91. Look at verse number 9. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder and the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I endeavor, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. The psalmist is talking about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Do you see verse 11? 
He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Verse 12, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against. In Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, Satan quotes that in the temptation to Christ and says, if you jump off of here, God the Father is going to protect you. You know why? Because Psalms 91, he said he would. And he would do what? Send his angels. So what's the angel going to do? What's their charge in verse 11? Keep them. Protect them. Bring around the hedge about them. You know the verses. You see, angels are going to take care of Israel. Their charge, verse 11, I will give his angels charge over thee. Their, their commission, their whole goal was to protect Israel. And when Israel is doing and being who God would have them to be, obeying his commandments, doing, walking the line, right there, literally God put a, guard, put a hedge around his people and he protected them. And that's why when you see Israel, when they are not obeying God, what happens to the enemy? The enemies come and they take them. But when they are doing and the enemy comes up, the enemy is defeated. You know that guy, the angel of the Lord? Boy, what an angel. Whew. He comes in and he defeats the enemy. Why? Because what's their charge back here? Protection. Come over to Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37. This one's fantastic. I, I just throw this one up there for you. Verse 30, uh, Isaiah 37, verse 36. Isaiah 37, 36. Here's this angel of the Lord guy. And I, I say that with reverence, but yet also knowing who he is. Isaiah 37, 36. Then, then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpse. In one night, one angel killed 185,000 in one night. What, were, what, were the, what was this Assyrian host doing? They were afflicting who? His people, Israel. And what did the, Lord, what did the angel of the Lord do? You ain't messing with my people. <laughs> Zorro, boom, off he goes. Come over to Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Think about this. Back here in the Old Testament, in time past, they, were, they had a protection duty. Put me a stand of watch. Here we go. Look at Daniel 6. You remember Daniel in the lion's den? Is Daniel doing what God's word would have Daniel do? Yeah. He's toeing the line. He's right where he's supposed to be. Verse 22, Daniel 6, 22. My God, uh, verse 21, then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth, and they, that, they have not hurt me for as much as before me innocence was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Who, who, who came down there? The angel did. Got old Leo the lion to lay down and just be a nice warm evening. You know, we were talking about, uh, the other day we were talking about having a buffalo robe, you know, and being all warm and stuff. And you know what? Old Leo was a warm evening for Daniel. They kicked back and had pizza and drank a glass of water or whatever and just had a good old evening together. Why? But what did the angel do? He came protection. Come over to Luke 22. Luke 22. Think about the Lord in the garden. Luke 22 and verse 43. Luke 22. Every time I say that, Luke 22, I think about Peyton Manning and Omaha, Omaha. You know, it's like, I don't know why, but it's just Luke 22. You know, you say it enough. You know, the audible here. Luke 22, the Lord's in the garden and he's praying. Verse 42 saying, Father, if thou... Uh, be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy, th but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. What? Strengthen him. Come and took care of the Lord. Now come over to Luke one. What did the angel do? What were the angels charged to do? First charge was protection. Take care of. Protect. Take when 
Moses and, the, and them are out wandering in the wilderness, and they get the manna. They got to get up in the next morning and go get the manna. Manna's angel's food, Psalms calls it. It's, it's a little cornbread meal stuff. And he goes, and what do the angels come down? And they deliver the food. And they, the people get up, take care of it. That's their number one job, protection, taking care of. But they also have another job, Luke 1. Luke 1, and look at verse 26. Luke 1, 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 30. And the angel, watch, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Could you imagine an angel standing at the end of your bed saying, Fear not. Now, for you and I, we'd pass out dead. But for Israel, it's not an, not an issue. Because angelic movement and activity is normal for them. Look over at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel, what? said unto them. What's the angel doing? He's delivering a message from God. He's bringing them the word of God. Gabriel looks at Daniel and says, Daniel, you're the man. You're good to go. And here's what this stuff means. And he delivers the word. So in Scripture, angels, their design, their charge is to take care of God's people to protect them, but then also to communicate His will and word to them. You follow me? That's what, that's, that is what they do. You know what? We don't have that problem today. <laughs> we don't have that issue today. We don't need an angel to come and protect us today. We don't need an angel to come and deliver His word and will to us today. You know why? Think, come back with me over to Ephesians 1. Look, think about this. We don't need an angel to protect us today. Who do we have today that we will never lose? The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father. <laughs> we got the Godhead. We never lose them. We never lose at all of who we are in Christ. We never lose at all the unsearchable riches of His grace. We never lose that. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places where? In Christ. We are complete in Him. By the way, He's the head of all principality and power. Again, that governmental that rule structure stuff. He's, he's the top guy. Why in the world would you want the bellhop, the angel dude down here, taking care of you when you've got the big guys taking care of you? Look at Ephesians 1, verse 13. We, number one, we don't need the protection because we have something far better. Ephesians 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, talking about Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. You see, we have protection. Sealed. That word sealed. We're sealed, by the way, not by. We're sealed with. Completely different. The Father does the sealing. The instrument that he seals us with is the Holy Spirit of promise. And that, that is so wonderful. Not just the Holy Spirit. Woo-hoo, whoop-de-doo. He's the Holy Spirit of promise. Promise of what? Verse 14. He's going to resurrect you one day. Take you home one day. Get the, the purchased possession. Redeem you. The redemption of your body, to wit, the adoption, the redemption of our body. He's going to do all that. You see, we've got something far better than an angel popping up and saying, I shut Leo's up, mouth up, so you're, you guys are good to go today. Because the moment you're not, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> He's going to come down here and clean your clock out. You see, we've got something far better. 
He's always there, by the way. Look, he never leaves you. Look over to chapter 4 of Ephesians and verse 30. You've got to think about this. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That issue of sealed. In Scripture, sealed carries quite a few different connotations. One of them is, it's an it's a issue of, it implies security. I got, you get mail. Do you still get mail? Everybody wants to go paperless, but I, I get mail. Send me the bill, you know. And what do they do? They seal it. What's secure? The content. It implies security. It implies ownership. He owns you. It implies identification. It implies secrecy. You don't know what's in going on until you look in. <laughs> it implies a finished transaction. It implies authority. It implies likeness. It implies an obligation. It's got all this stuff. So it's not just, oh, we're sealed. We're good to go. No, you're sealed with that spirit of promise. So in Christ, that part of you that will last forever, that inner man, that new creature, that new man, you'll never lose him. Far better than an angel. Now come over to 2 Timothy 3. The second point, we don't need an angel to understand God's will. 2 Timothy 3. Or his word. Because what do we have today? We have a complete word. We have a complete Bible. We have a complete scripture, script, to write it down. You see, we don't need an angel. But I, I had a guy one time tell me, he goes, Rick, that big angel stood at the foot of my bed and told me that, you know, you were coming today. I said, dude, I told you yesterday I was coming to see you today. <laughs> yeah, I just had to, yeah, he reminded him, exactly. And you know what? No, that's not how it works today. How does God work today? He's working through his word. The angel would come and say to Mary and Joseph, we didn't read Matthew, but he says to Joseph, hey, you're going to be a dad. You're going to have this. This is what's going to happen. And boom, he comes over there to, to um, Abraham. You're going to have a son. Abraham, well, I don't think so, Bubba. He goes, guess what? He had a son. He talks. The angel talks and comes. Today, you and I, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Look at that. He gives us his script, all scripture. Everything that God wants revealed and known to you, he's made known and revealed to you. And he did it in a book when he first started. And he looked at Job and says, write it down. He looked at Moses and says, write it in a book. Isaiah, write it in a book. Cause is the writing of the book. You go over there and you read there in Isaiah when he says, write it in a book so it'll be for a memorial. Take that word book, book of, run it through scripture. There's a ton of them. The book of the Lord, the book of this, the book of that. The, and you go and you look through there and you go, my goodness. You know, the, in, in uh, Revelation there at the great white throne judgment, the books are going to be open. Look, all this book stuff. Why? Because it's a memorial. It's something written down. When those folks stand at the great white throne judgment and those books are open, they can't say, I didn't do. He's going to say, yeah, you did right there. And he's going to nail them, get them. It's profitable. I love that. He didn't waste time. Last hour, I, we were talking about the call, the predestinate, all that stuff. And I tell you, we don't read every word in the verse, and you've got to have every word in the verse read to catch what's going on. Usually when we read 828, we leave out the, and the to, whom, uh, to, to them that love God, who are called according. No, it's who are the called. It's different. You've got to pay attention to that. They're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You, you want to see the doctrine and the, where God, here's where you need to be, right here, bam. Reproof, bad behavior, you're out of line, you're messing up. God's not reaching down and smacking you on the back of the head. He just isn't doing it. You know how you know that? You know how I know that? It hadn't happened yet, and I mess up a lot, you know. I was, anyway, I'm telling myself. <laughs> Let's hear it, yeah, <laughs> later. 
He goes, he goes, hey, here, correction, here. Where does he do that? People always, they get on me, Rick, you don't believe God chastens today. Yeah, I do believe, but how does he do it? Right here on the instructions in righteousness, the pages of his book. Why? Why does he do that? Verse 17. That, the intention, the purpose, the reason, that the man of God may be, what? Perfect. That the man of God may never sin again. No, it's not what it said. It said perfect, which is what? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works of maturity. And when you, where, again, where do you find the complete information? All sufficiency and all grace. You find it in his word. And God's word has been given to us. So that we have a complete and total revelation of the will of God, of what he's doing today. That's why you don't need an angel. That's why you don't have to worry about them. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have the completed word of God. And that ought to be enough. But you know what Grandma said when I was growing up? Grandma said I had a little garden. No, that's what Grandma said. What's God's word say? Okay? Now go back to 3.10, Ephesians 3, verse 10. Because there's more to it than what he's just saying there. I just want you to understand our relationship to the angels now. We don't need the guardian angel, the whisper. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't need them to communicate words to us. We have the Word of God, King James Bible, right there. But that's more, Paul's getting more in, more than that now. Because now we, have, we, we do have a relationship with the angelic creation. Verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now, we have a job, we have a privilege, we have a responsibility now in time to make known to, the, to these creatures that are in the heavenly places these creatures that occupy the principalities, the powers, the mights, the thrones, the dominions, the rulers, the every other name that's named, those positions of rank and authority, we have a privilege to communicate to them the manifold wisdom of God. They are observing us. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. They are observing us with the intention to be educated, to be instructed. To, to learn from us. There, think about this. Was the message given to the Apostle Paul preached since the foundation of the world? No. Please say no. Please say no. Okay. Since the foundation. Okay. It was what? What did we learn in 3.9? It was hid in God. Right? Now it's revealed. Guess what the angels are the first time they're seeing it? When it's revealed. They didn't know it over here. Think about that angelic realm. By the way, they can never be killed. They're indestructible. Okay? That's why they're held in chains of darkness unto judgment. The only one that, the, the only person that can destroy the angel is the Lord Jesus Christ because he created them. You read Job 40 and 41 and 42 there when he discusses the Antichrist and, and, uh, the son of perdition and those careers. And he says, he looks at Israel and says, what do you think you're going to do to him? The only one that can destroy him is the one who made him. You can't destroy an angel. So they're up there. They were there when he created. They sang. They, woo look at what he's doing. And now they go, what is he doing? <laughs> what is this? So now they begin to observe you and I. 1 Corinthians 4. Notice verse 9. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world. Think about that. And to who? 1 Corinthians 4, 9. To who? To angels and to men. Now, usually what happens is everybody focuses on why does he say world and then men. And they miss the what? The angel part. 
I want you to focus in on you're made a spectacle. Spectator. You go down to the football game, because football starts next weekend. Col the real games do, okay, college. They start next weekend. You go down there. <laughs> you go down there, and you sit in the fans, and you're a fanatic. You're a spectator. What are they? They're spectators. A spectacle. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and as the offscurring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Look at what the angels are doing. What are they watching? Paul, what's Paul in? He says, listen, the angels are watching and they're paying attention to us. And look at the condition you guys have us in. That back and forth to this or that, to you or this. And he's like, I'm warning you, pay attention. What you're doing is seen by more than who you think. When he talks there, by the way, being a spectacle to the world and then to men, we know what the world is out there. The men is specifically the people at Corinth. The believers, the other saints, the other ones around, looking, watching. In the immediate, what are they doing? They're having, it's a spectator event. So literally sitting in this room on the rafters, if you will, is the an an angelic creation. And they're watching. They're listening to the word taught. They're listening to the conversations and the word talked. They're listening and they're paying. And you know what happens? Uh-oh, I better shape up. <laughs> You know, but they're watching that. They're listening to that. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah. Think about this. Paul says, listen, guys, you're, our job, my job, preach the word, make all men see. But do you know who else is watching? The angelic realm's watching too. Be careful. I warn you, be careful. 1 Corinthians 11, watch verse 8. Just think about this and them watching. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Now we're jumping right in, okay? But I want you to just pay attention, see what he's doing. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head... Because of who? The angels. Notice that. 1 Corinthians 11, 8, 9, 10. What Paul is saying, look at the roles. Look at the relationship in the home. The husband and the wife. The man and the woman. See that? When you're in the home, in the roles of husband and wife and you are part doing those roles the way God set them up to be performed. When you're over here doing in the role of a husband, and you're over here doing in the role of the wife, look at verse 10. For this cause ought the woman to have power of her, on her head because of who? Who else is watching? Here you are, husband, doing, wife, doing. Who's watching too? Well, the Godhead's watching because they're in you. But who else is watching? The angels. Now, what are they watching for? Well, let's see how, what kind of a husband he is. He's a dirty, rotten lout. Are they watching that way? Well, let's see what kind of a wife she is. Ooh, no, she's not that way. Woo-wee, that's a boo-hoo. Let's stay away from that. What are they watching? They're watching to see... The, one, the functioning of the church, the body of Christ, how believers work this out. But they're also watching to see the manifold wisdom of God. What is the manifold wisdom of God in marriage? Who's the head of the home? The husband. Who's the, who's the keeper of the home? The wife. That's the verse. Okay? 
What's the situation designed to be? The verse, the doctrine. The, what is the manifold wisdom of God when it comes to husband and wife? And the angels are sitting there going, are they doing it? Wow, look at that. Ooh, man, he just stumped his big toe on that one. Ooh, oh my goodness, look at her. Oh my goodness, grease, gee whiz. <laughs> or, wow, look at that, look at it work. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You see, they're paying attention. They're not intervening. They're not reaching down and going, hey, dummy, it's verse 4. They're not doing that. They're looking over and they're just, let's see. Let's, they're interested in the functioning of the church, the body of Christ. They are looking, they're interested in learning and seeing the manifold wisdom of God working in your life of the believer. That's what they're watching for. Take the job, whatever the illustration. I just picked here because it says because of the angels. <laughs> Think about that. Here you are, you know, we have single folks, we have married folks, we have all different kinds, you know, what in-betweeners, okay? We got all of that. And you know what? What are they watching to see? How's that functioning? How's that working? What are they doing in that situation? You got the boss at the at the job, and he's just on your neck constantly, and you're beginning to get tired of it. How are you doing with that? What's the, what's the sound doctrine tell you? Are you doing the sound doctrine? <laughs> okay, you, you, you follow that? Now come over to 1 Timothy 5. You see, they're, they are interested in learning the manifold wisdom of God. God's wisdom in the different scenarios of life. They sit here, and they say, let's see how the local church is doing today. Wow, are they functioning? Is there a Corinthian division going on? How's that working? Is there the Philippian emotional trip going on? How's that happening? What are they doing? How are they working this out? You know what? Because they're learning 1 Timothy 5, verse 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partial. Notice verse 21. I charge thee Ooh. I, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who? The elect angels. So guess what? There are two kinds of angels, aren't there? There are elect angels, Paul just called them that, and then there would be fallen angels. So guess what you have in the heavenly ranks up there? Saved angels, lost angels. What do you think the lost guy's doing when you stub your toe as a husband or as a wife? Told you. Look at that. He's no better than anybody Let's wa let's see Rick's. Let's see if Rick messes up right. Now. Oh, he messed it up. Oh, look at that boy. He got a stinker off that time. She's gonna deck him. Let's watch Linda. Let's watch it. She's gonna. Oh, he got her. Wow, right, right between the, you know, right in the kisser. Bam. And the elect, the save guy goes. Just hang on a minute. Just give him a minute. Now let's see if they're gonna have the forbear and forgive speech, doctrine. Let's just see. You see, there's a, just as you run into unsaved and saved people, they're in the same category. And he says, I charge you. When he charges Timothy, when he charges you and I, that design, that issue is, a, is an accountability issue. I'm going to hold you accountable to do what God would have you be and do because you know what? God holds you accountable to do and will be what he would have you to be. I charge you. I said it. And you know who's watching? God's watching. The Lord Jesus Christ is watching. And the elect angels are watching. Because what do they want? They want to learn. They want to know the manifold wisdom of God. And they're paying attention to you. Now come over to First Peter or 2 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, sorry. 
1 Peter 1. In the prophetic program of Israel, Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which souls the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. And now this is the prophetic program. This is not the dispensation of grace. This is really going to be talking about verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now notice verse 11 carefully. Peter says, when the prophets wrote about the sufferings of Christ, what would that be? What event would that be? Calvary. And the glory that should follow, what would that be? The kingdom. Resurrection into the kingdom. What did they do in verse 11? They searched what or what manner of time. You know what they did? They laid out Daniel's 70th week timeline, and they tried to figure out when, what, this stuff I'm writing in Isaiah, this stuff I'm writing in Psalms, this stuff I'm writing back here, when and where does this happen? See how they're doing that. Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have heard, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven. You know what they were told? You know what Isaiah was told? Just write it down. Write Isaiah 53. Just get it down on paper. It isn't pertaining to you. It's pertaining to a group of people coming. Follow that? David, write, this, write Psalm 69. Get it down there, man, because that's what's going to happen. Don't worry. It's not about you. It's not for you. It's... Now, finish verse 12. Which things the angels desire to look into. Even the angels wanted to know. What in the world is this thing about sufferings of Christ and the glory to come? What is that? We read it. The prophets have written it. But when is it going to happen? And what does it mean? They have a passion. Come back to Ephesians 3. To, they have a desire to know, to want to know what God's doing. They have a burning desire to sit and to say, what in the world's going on? So then when on the road to Damascus, when Stephen, before the road to Damascus, when Stephen looks up into heaven's glory and sees the Lord standing, ready to come back and pour out wrath and judgment and clean Israel's clock, because that's what was coming. Instead, the angels see him reach over and snag a guy on the road to Damascus by the name of Saul, who is also called Paul, and save him. A guy who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit can't be, he's not savable, can't be converted under Israel's program. That, by the way, that tells you that just prior to that, he had to do what? change the program, okay? But he doesn't, he changes it with Paul. Reaches, you know what the angels are doing? Wait a minute, that doesn't match. <laughs> what you doing? What's going on over here? Now, what do the angels need? They need the revealed word too. So what does the Lord say? Hold on, I got to talk to the man. Just give me a minute. And he begins to communicate the revelation to Paul Ephesians 3, Paul writes it down. We begin to learn by the Spirit, through the Word, and what do the angels do? Same thing. They begin to watch. They understood, hey, it's time for this. To, whoa, wait a minute. What's this mystery thing? What's this interruption? Now watch verse 11. The end of verse 10. Might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, According to the what? Eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what they're looking for? That right there. You know what they're learning for? They're learning from you and I as they watch us learn and grow, stumble, fall, pick ourselves up, stub our toes, mature, 
become that perfect man, grow. When they see all of that, you know what they see? They see the manifold wisdom of God, and they begin to understand his eternal purpose, which is found where? Ephesians 1.10. In the dispensation of the fullness of time, he's going to gather all of that universal governmental structure. And, and I say it like that because the issue in the universe is who's in charge. That's the issue. That's the issue since day one. Is who's in charge? The truth or the lie? Here's how truth is going to regain the upper hand. Here's what the lie does. Well, look at that. The angels are sitting there going, let's pay attention here. Because we're learning something about the eternal purpose of God. So we put on display God's purpose in the church, the body of Christ, which is to fill up the heavenly places. And the angels watch us. And they are watching us to figure out what's God doing today. How does it work in these? Think about this. The dispensation of grace has been going on for quite a few years, hasn't it? Everybody doesn't always have the same understanding over all those years, do they? Actually, they call it recovered truth, which is a bunch of garbage. Because there is written accounts of people back in the 3rd and 4th century who know more about stuff than you and I do today. They stood there, they preached, they proclaimed stuff that if I said to you, you would go, no, that ain't right, and it, it is it got kind of lost over time, so we recovered it. it. You know, it was never lost. It's always been on the pages of God's Word. It's always been there. And what do the angels do? They watch that. I could just see, you know, Angel Bill up there going, Whoa, man, what an idiot. Didn't he see that? You know, I've known that for 500 years. Come on, man. Come on. You know, why? Because that's what we and you and I would do. I don't know. Anyway, so when he says, Hey, Let's make all men see, but also don't forget there's another group watching you. In that angelic realm, they're paying attention, and we have an impact on it. Now, we'll talk more about what they're going to learn and what they are learning next time. But as we learn and as we grow and as we put on, display that manifold wisdom of God, we do reach up into the angelic realm and influence them. Can I close with one verse? Look at Colossians 2. Just one verse and we'll be done. I promise. <clears throat> Look at Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15. Well, you need 16 in my name. 14. 2, 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, there they are again, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The it there is the cross. Do you know why the adversary despises you so bad? Verse 15. Because every day that he sees you manifesting the manifold wisdom of God, living as who you are in the details of your life, as who you are in Christ. You know what it does to the adversary? Another gig. Another stick. Because he can't stop it. Because he's been defeated at the cross, by the cross. That's why it's key that we put on display. That's why it's key we learn and we do and we grow. And you know what the angels do? The elect angels sit over there and they say, see, look, I told you they'd be all right. Look at them go. Look at them grow. And the old fallen angel goes, yeah, shut up. And he just sulks away. And the elect angel sits there and says, yeah, that's exactly what the manifold wisdom of God looks like in their life, in time, right there. And we, we educate them. Follow that? So it's not just a, eh, whatever, let's just go. 
No, you, you're, you're a spectacle you're being paid attention to. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son. And as the angels watch us and as we go day by day and learn and grow, we do so understanding that we're not the only ones in the room. And we do so for your honor and for your glory and everything that we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.